Welcome to Crate Digging, a podcast about record collections and their collectors. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenal, the music and creative associate for the soundtrack. On this episode, we have one half of the Canadian synth-pop duo, The Darcys. You know them from their hits Miracle, Just Here With My Friends, Chasing the Fall, and their newest single, No Regrets. The band has released six records, including last year's excellent Fear and Loneliness. Wes Marskell, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's flip through your collection. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the lovely intro. Hey, I am very excited to have you on. I've been a big fan of your band for a while, so this is uh, very exciting for me. That's very nice of you to say. Well, I guess, you know, this is a podcast about record collections, and so the first question I really got to ask you is, how big is your record collection? Well, I actually realized, uh, so I moved to Los Angeles a year ago, essentially, and my entire record collection is in storage in Toronto. So I was like, Uh-oh. oh, this would be great. And then I realized it wasn't here. It's like in my mind, I still have it, but I haven't <laughs> shifted here yet. But there's probably like 300 records okay. in my collection. So I feel, I don't know what what numbers you get here. I feel like it's mod compared to the people I know that are like really into records. It's pretty modest, but I got I got some good stuff. Yeah, it really depends. Some people are like, you know, I got about 100 of that seems like it's taking up more than enough room in my place. And then other people are like, I've got 700. I know it's not that big. I know some collectors have more. And I'm like, all right, do you have like three dedicated rooms or something? (laughs) Well, we're also like an independent project that does all of our own merch. So I have like thousands of records coming in and out through like our merch sales and stuff like that. So if Mm -hmm. you count all of those records I have waiting to get shipped and stuff like that, I got quite a fair amount. I feel like I'm way off of there. And the, <laughs> if I count collecting my own record a few thousand times, then then I'm yeah. Off. Just just keep logging down discogs. I own this record ten thousand times. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so I guess then I'm curious to know how did you get started collecting? I know a lot of people say that their introduction through vinyl was through their parents. Was that the same way through you, or did you come independently? Um, yeah, I did. Like my dad was a big collector. He actually just moved recently, and uh, it just pruning his collection down to the essentials and realizing uh, what stuff he had there. But he was always like had the turntable active until this year. So I never got to steal from that collection. Um, but when I, when the band first started up, we would go on tour and, you know, other artists would give you records or you'd swap records and, or you would fall in love with a band and then you'd grab a record. So it was just kind of organic when I think our band was sort of starting as the resurgence of vinyl came back. Um, and so, I, a band a generation before me might not have been making records or might thought about it differently. And then when our first record came out, it was like, you got to put it on vinyl. We didn't even make CDs for the first one. It was just vinyl and download. So it was a big thing. So yeah, we would swap records. And then all of a sudden you come home from tour and you play a bunch of festivals, you amass like a, a fairly decent stack of records. And then I think from there, it just started to spiral. Wow. That's, that sounds pretty awesome. What sort of uh, music was being played in your house when you were growing up then? Uh, my dad's like a massive uh, Steely Dan fan. That's kind of sort of where we got our Steely sense. Dan records from. Uh, so I heard that record far too many times. I don't know if it's considered child abuse, but like you shouldn't probably be listening to Steely Dan that young. Uh, <laughs> he's a big Rolling Stones guy um, and things like that. So um, I think that was kind of like classic my generation dad music. I feel like I got a lot of like whatever is like, starting to come back and play shows way too early all those big 
touring acts that are coming back that are still hanging on. If they're about to die, my dad probably listened to them a bunch when I was uh, a kid. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Do you happen mm. to remember the the very first record that you own that either you bought with your own money or were gifted? So I was trying to think of that ahead of this because I don't remember, but I remember that there's a band from Toronto, I believe, called Ladyhawk. Mm, and yeah. not, not to be confused with Ladyhawk. And they had a record called Shots. And I remember buying that record. That was a big moment for me when I bought that record. <laughs> um, which is probably never going to get mentioned on any crate digging show ever. But that was just a big record in my life. I remember buying it and it was exciting and important to me. And I probably looked at it more than I played it because I just was like very excited about owning it. And then I went back and started buying, you know, Constantine's records and all the sort of tendrils of that, that style, that genre and that crew and, and started to build out my collection. I think sort of around that era, I bought um, uh, Shine a Light on vinyl too. I have like a couple... OG Constantine's record that I'm pretty proud of still having. So that kind of stuff was early for me. Nice. Well, that's a, that's a classic Canadian rock band. And and I love all the deep cuts. You like, you, you got to make sure you mention those names that other people aren't mentioning. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're talking about sort of Canadian rock and stuff like that. Is that mostly what your collection comprises of or is it, because I'm also sort of curious about you're, you're talking about records you got on tour through bands you were playing with or in the scene, what sort of stuff were, uh, were, would that have been then? Oh, I just like every single band I ever played with. I feel like my musical taste maybe veers a- away from can rock more than most. Um, I have a ton of pop records in it. You know, I, I would say that the, when I first started collecting after my initial sort of few major records, I went in and got a bunch of classic stuff like, a bunch of Steely Dan records. And that's how we, from my dad listening to me buying it is kind of how we got into uh, covering it. And then, you know, we got some classic Bowie and Elton John and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was never, I don't know if this is a blasphemy, I was never a huge Beatles fan, so I didn't own any Beatles records. Um, but then I started collecting like more contemporary in my era, like uh, Radiohead records, Flaming Lips records and stuff like that. And then um, like, kind of maybe around the, when the suburbs came out was like my end of my rock sort of phase. And I started more into the Lana Del Rey's and, and things of the world. And um, though I actually was just thinking that one of the other first major records I bought was this band from Montreal called the Deers. And they had a record called gang of losers. And it was this like gatefold heavy red. I remember. And it was just, that was a big record for me too early on buying that record. And having yeah. that record. And then working with Murray on our record not long after that. So it was a big record for me. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I've seen them live a couple times. They're they're a great one too. Yeah. Uh, other awesome. than your your Lady Hawk record, do you have any prize possessions? One of my really good friends, Guillaume, gave me who has a massive record collection, and his Instagram is just like always a new record every day. He gave me a copy of Ultra Violence by he's I think he's gifted me almost all of the Lana Del Rey records now, but he gave me that record. And I just love that record, especially when we were working on Fear and Loneliness. Aesthetically, I thought it was really pretty. It sounds amazing. It's really cool. There's a lot of risks for a pop record. So I cherish that record uh, more than maybe I should, more than maybe it's good even. I just had a connection to it. It felt right at the time. I feel like records, like books, like movies, whatever they all, when you come to them, it's almost more important than what's actually on the recording. And I just had a connection with that record. Um, so that was a big one. And then 
uh, I do going back to my sort of more alt leanings. I had, uh, I finally found a copy of, they reissued Sea Change, the Beck record, but before they reissued it, I found a copy of it. It was kind of hard to find. And I grabbed that and that was another one that I, I really love. And then, yeah, when I was away, I, somebody, Guillaume sent me the, um, the newest Lana Del Rey record, the one that's like the, became the poetry book. And I've never even opened it because I left as it was arriving. So that's something when I come home and visit my family, I can crack open and give a listen to. Nice. Well, as someone that recently moved from Toronto to Vancouver and transported the records, uh, I'm not looking forward to you having to do that because it's a real pain in the ass. Yeah, it sounds a bit like a nightmare, but Vancouver is a great city. Hey, yeah, you love I, uh, I am rain. loving it. Good, good. Uh, all right. Now I, I kind of want to shift a little bit to talk about like the actual record shopping experience. When you sort of walk into a record store, do you kind of like beeline it to the exact section, you know, you want, or do you like to flip through everything, check out the used records and, and spend some time there? Um, it's a little bit of both. Like, you know, if I really loved when that, um, Brandon Flowers solo record came out, uh, I, or something like that, then you would start, I was like, Oh, like going to the record store. It's great. You, go find this record, you buy this record or something like that. But then there's other times, especially in Toronto, when Rotate moves to Ossington, you go grab a coffee at Sam James, go for a walk, go through the record store. And I, I think about it almost like natural wine. I like sometimes I just like to be smitten with the pretty cover and then I'll see if I like it from there. Um, so it's a little bit of both. Sometimes you just zero in and you go grab something. And other times, you know, there's a lot of times you go in to buy a record to support uh, a friend who's in a, in a group or an artist or something like that, and you want to buy it from the, the record shop instead of directly from them because it also helps the record store. So there's a lot going on. So it really depends. But I will tell you, I remember distinctly walking into uh, Rotate right after it moved to Ossington with a cup of coffee. There's a beautiful person working behind the counter, and I tripped over the ledge and fell face first my coffee exploded everywhere <laughs> oh, and I, it was just a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. I didn't ruin any records, but it was just like such a, a moment. So I took uh, the long way around that record shop for a few weeks before going back. <laughs> in. Well, I'm glad the merchandise was all good. <laughs> That's right. I was fine too. Thanks for asking. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would have been my next follow-up question was, was how are you That's doing? Right. <laughs> I was in a cast for four years. No, but the records were good. okay. <laughs> The records are fine. The records are fine. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, speaking about uh, your own band and the work that you do, you've also worked with plenty of other artists, including uh, Ralph Iskaway, Leah Fay from July Talk, and friend of the show, Tefari Anthony. When you're working with Sorry, other great. artists, do you just sort of see how like the Darcy's brand fits with theirs, or do you try to fit in with their artist style? I think it depends. When working with Leah, like we were making a Darcy's track, and with Ralph, we were making a Darcy's feature. So in that sense, then we try to bring the two things together. With Tafari's project, it was more about what Tafari wanted as a vision and a sound and just trying to help better that if we could or, or help um, foster any creativity that we could that was necessary. Um, I was actually just thinking that we worked on a song with this band called Hotel Mira from Vancouver. Um, and that's the only record I have in this house. I don't know how, I ha why I have it here. It must've got shipped here. Uh, when the album came out, they gave us a copy. It got shipped here. And that's the one record I have currently in my house. I don't even have Darcy's records to give to <laughs> friends or anyone that I meet here. That's the one record I have. We worked on that record. And again, like I think if you're 
name or your artist name isn't on the project, it's probably not best to do the full on Darcy's thing. Um, because I don't know if that's as valuable to an artist as them doing their own thing. Who want, I mean, do they really want this? I don't know. Um, we also worked <laughs> with a, a group called Ferraro recently, and I'm waiting for that vinyl to show up because I'm excited about that one as well. Nice. That's cool. Uh, now, looking at your website's official merch shop, uh, you were selling test pressings of all of your records, which are obviously now sold out. Do you view test pressings as something that likely holds more value to your fans, or is it just something that you had a lot of them left over and want to offload them? I think it was just the middle of COVID, and we had just put the record out, and we knew people really wanted the test pressings. Like We kept getting hit up. Like, do you have test pressings? Do you have test pressings? And I just saw somebody that bought one, got and commissioned an artist to create a sleeve, a custom sleeve for their test pressing. Because if you don't know a test pressing, for those of you who don't know, it's just, just white. Like there's a white circle and a, a white sheath, and it's kind of boring looking. So somebody commissioned like a full on cover, which was pretty fun. But anyway, yeah, we, we had like, I think probably three or four of each record, including like, Asia, which was like really hard to come by, and um, a test pressing of him for Missing Girl, which was like only ever like 500 copies in the first place. And then there was a mistake on the first version of Warring. So we had like both versions of that, like the mistake version, and then the fixed version, which was just a half side one. So that was even more rare. And I think people were just excited about it. And we put them up for 100 bucks, I think, which was like, not that much more than a record really like if you're buying a record off a major label source like 50 bucks anyway and i'm sure we could have spent a lot more on it but we just felt like we just want people to get these records and enjoy them and have them in their collections because what am i going to do with four test pressings on records i don't listen to anyway (laughs) yeah very true so two of your releases centerfold and asia come in colored vinyl was that something that you requested or just something that was offered by the pressing plant we wanted to do asia on the red translucent red because the first copy of asia that i bought was on translucent yellow and we were our aesthetic was black and white at the time and asia has the red color in the original version so you wanted to sort of connect the two things by having this black and white cover and then you pull it out and it's this like kind of glossy cool transparent red vinyl which we found like five seven of the other day maybe a couple months ago now and put them up and they sold in like four seconds on the internet which was super fun and exciting for us, but we didn't know we had any left and they, they aren't pressing anymore. So that was pretty cool. Oh, and then I, Asia was just white. I don't know. White's kind of tacky to me white vinyl and no offense to anyone that loves white vinyl, but <laughs> I felt like a uh, centerfold has this sort of fun sheen to it. And that was just part of the doubling down on that whole thing, the aesthetic, the pink, the photos, and then getting this like white sort of like Miami vice sort of record. I thought was just like super fun in the aesthetic, but The more I make records, the more I think black vinyl probably technically sounds better, though I don't know if I'm skilled enough to hear it or not. But so I think we'll probably keep working in the black vinyl realm unless we do certain like one-off customs. We're talking about maybe doing um, a collection of some of the singles that we've put out, like No Regrets and Better Days and Just With My Friends and doing a very limited run of vinyl and maybe doing that on a freaky color or something. Wow, that would be really cool. Um... Yeah. Now, I know there's only the two of you in the band, but when you're on tour, which one of you is more likely to take over the music controls? Jason's the music guy at the end of the day. Like he just, he is, uh, he's just better at it. I wish (laughs) 
I was as good as that music as Jason is, and I'm just happy to let him be in his domain and successful in that world, you know? And that's what I think he, where he excels in what he likes to do. I think he'd much rather be forced to create a song in a very short period of time than have to do an interview or go on TV or something like that. And that's just his moment. And he's, you know, I, I think it's like, if you were in, you know, I don't know, in a room with Elton John, you wouldn't be like, hold on a second, like move over. Let me show you how to play piano. Like this guy knows <laughs> how to play piano, right? Like, what am I going to show up and tell Jason to change something if he's, you know, really doing it at his best because he's just so good. So yeah, he takes the control there. Is it one of the things where he just really knows how to uh, read the room and the moods of people are, are wanting or is it just like he just always has like the best taste in film music? I don't know. I just, he, he listens to more music than I do, you know? And, okay. and I feel like, I don't know. Sometimes I think I can tire of music when working on music all the time. Like we have our own podcast we did the season of, and then we create a ton of music for sync stuff and we do our own music and we're always working on music all day, all day, all day. And then it's like, okay, it's like 6 PM. Do I want to listen to more music? I'm kind of like fried. Whereas he has mm -hmm. a little bit more longevity with, listening and enjoying like i don't put on a ton of music just sometimes i just want to be alone with my thoughts which is also terrifying and so he's just a more of an avid consumer listener so it's just like that's his that's his role and he's better at yeah. it that makes sense uh now the two of you have also started your own record label and have signed an act billy and the devil uh, i'd love to talk more about that about uh, how that came about and what the plans are for your label yeah, we've just been in the label system for years through Arts and Crafts. We work with Warner and some other stuff. And we just found that no one really cared as much as we cared about our own project. I think that's probably true of every project, big or small. And the place we're at, I just didn't feel like we needed the the infrastructure that was promised through a label wasn't necessarily going to better our releases. And so being able to pivot and change and do things on our own schedule was just exciting. And so we launched the label. We launched it with just with my friends actually. Uh, and then we did actually did a Christmas song before that called another log on the fire, which one day should get a seven inch release, but that's just a spectacular tune. We'll have to do a second song and do an ABs out of it. But um, we did that just here with my friends came out and chasing the fall came out and they just kind of did well in succession. And we realized, okay, we can do this. We didn't screw up our career. We didn't screw up releasing music. And as we continue to explore releasing and getting our footing, we started working with this project, Billy and the Devil, which we just loved. And it, it just felt sort of lateral to Fear and Loneliness as a record and interesting and exciting and moody and dark. It reminded me a lot of like Warring or some of our earlier stuff. And we just really wanted to work on it. So we produced a bunch of it. And it just seemed like a natural fit on the label. We're also working with, uh, I can't really tell you that much just yet, but I'm more of a electronic act that we're doing a feature on and we're putting that out through our label as well. That's coming out in September. So that's really exciting oh. too. And just exploring ways to be creative and put out music and, um, and do it on our own terms, which is the way that everyone in music should be allowed to release music. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. And congratulations on, on starting that label up by the way. Yeah, it's super fun. Now, I guess back to uh, record talk. Do you have any favorite local record stores? As someone who is both a Torontonian and an LA transplant, you can name one from either city if you like. 
I mean, I probably should say the Darcy's.ca. That's the best place to buy vinyl on Fantastic. the planet, right? Yep. You like that? Uh, all your favorite I, artists I on big there. Sounds- that's right. My favorite band by far. Um, <laughs> Soundscapes was probably my record store growing up. Rest in peace. Um, and then Rotate and then Sonic Boom, sort of in that order. As a West End kid, uh, those are my record shops. I haven't ventured to the record stores too much out here. I've been lucky. I've met a few label people recently and they've promised me some records if I want them. But I'm going to go support the local scene and start buying stuff. I just got to get my turntable set up and get all my records here before I start shopping. I got to buy like furniture for my house, you know, <laughs> I guess I, I totally could stack understand. crates into a couch or something. Yeah. Right. Honestly, when you move, I feel like setting up the sound system is, is the number one thing you need to do anyways. That's true. It's blasphemy, <laughs> but I have a home pod and it was the first thing we set up so that it could, you know, pump some music into the air while we moved in. No, that's what you need. I get it. Uh, so I'm curious then what makes a good record store stand out from a not so good one. And you don't have to name any names of bad stores. It's the same with anything. I think that if you're a niche product or you're selling a niche product, if it's natural wine, if it's coffee, if it's records, if it's running shoes, sunglasses, whatever, if you're nice and you're helpful, I love it. I'll tip, I'll come back. I'll enjoy, I'll spend money. But the moment it's like, you're rude because I don't know as much about records as you, which of course I don't because you spend all day in a record store and I have to do other things. That's the moment that I'm turned away. And I think I just want that. I know not everyone has a good day and whatever, but if I come into your store and I'm looking for a record or I have a question that might not be as enlightened as the place in which record store people want to sit at, don't make me feel bad about it. Help me out. I'm just looking for stuff. I remember on a lateral tip, I went into a brewery, like a, a local brewery in Toronto. And my partner was was uh, working on dinner. It was like late. And I was like, hey, what's the like chillest beer you have? Like, I don't want anything that's like 8% or anything. Just I'm late and like, just want to bring home something cool. And the person said, uh, they're all cold. And I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't deal with this right now. Like I'm I'm just not going to buy beer here anymore. But, um, and you know, you just don't want that snootiness in a record shop. And I feel like record people historically as portrayed in movies can be kind of snooty. And this just, you don't need that. Be welcoming, be nice, let people into your community, be supportive, help them learn, help them get a good record player. Don't shame their shitty record player, whatever, help them buy more records, do it all encourage them to love whatever they're doing. It's the same with like a sport, skateboarding, golf, just be nice. You know, that's all I want from a good record shop. Awesome. I I think that's a fantastic ethos to have. And I love that answer. Um, As things in the world are somewhat seemingly starting to get back to normal, are you planning on, on touring fear and loneliness in the near future? I think we're the first thing we'll do when once we start playing some shows, which we've been talking about a lot recently, is more of a greatest hit sort of tour. We'll do some smaller for sort of like smaller runs, festival stuff and play just the thing. And then I think we want to build out the fear and loneliness tour and play those songs that really matter. And we're talking about reissuing some of it. It did come out at the sort of pinnacle of COVID in a lot of ways, or the bleakest part of COVID. And 
Um, we're working on this amazing music video for one of the songs, Shangri Lost, my favorite song in the record, and doing some cool stuff around that and trying to breathe some new life into it so that people that might have missed it because they were overcome with stress and anxiety of a global pandemic um, can have another access point to it and check it out. And I'm very excited about that. But yeah, then we will do a more proper sort of club tour with that record. Nice. Now you've already released one new single and no regrets. Can we expect any more music coming out, whether it's more singles or a full release or something like that? We actually put out two. We put out a song called Swerve and then No Regrets. And then we have a French version of Too Late coming out, which is on the record um, next Friday, a week Friday. And we do a bunch of uh, French versions of our songs for Quebec Radio, which is super interesting and fun and seemingly successful. And then we have a new sort of like, oh, and then we have that uh, feature on that electronic song I was talking about. And then uh, our next sort of big radio single will come out in the fall, I believe, if I can stick to all my own self-imposed deadlines, which is the one downfall of running your own label. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a problem when you're both the boss and the employee. Exactly. I just want to slack off. <laughs> Uh, well, if people haven't already listened to Fear and Loneliness and the two new singles that you've put out, you can find it on all music platforms and you can buy all the vinyl versions of the band's albums on the Darcy's official website or your local record store. Wes, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Keep fighting yes. the good fight with records. I, I totally intend on doing that and having people like you come on and, and preach the good word is really helpful. I'm excited to hear this. I'll share it as soon as it comes out. This wraps up this episode of Crate Digging. Make sure to visit thesoundtrack.ca for more great content. Let me know what you're currently spinning. Make sure you're subscribed to the show to listen right when the needle drops. Crate Digging is produced by Gemma Mastriani and Dakota Arsenault. It's a soundtrack production. Music is by Jared Burke. Graphic design by Stephanie Pryor. Thanks for checking us out.